I would remind you uh, that I guess it's two Sundays from today. Uh, Dr. Stephen Manley will be here to start our revival. And we had Dr. Manley about 18 months ago, and we had marvelous attendance. I think there was no evening service that we had less than 230 here, and that's really, really good. That's almost half of our congregation, and that's really good. Um, we'll hear Dr. Manley on Sunday morning, and then Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And I would ask you now, uh, I would ask you now to be able to uh, set apart those days on your calendar. And I know as well as anybody that we're busy. And I know as well as anybody that you probably already have maybe a meeting scheduled one of those nights and you may not be able to make it all the nights. Would you go ahead and, and, and highlight those days on your calendar and just, just go and set those apart. Maybe you won't put anything else on that. And I think you'll be glad that you did. There's something special about sitting under the preaching of God's Word in a revival setting. And I don't really know how to explain that. The continual night after night accumulation of God's Word, there's something about that. And that's why we still feel there is worth in having what we call a revival. And I could not bring you anyone to be able to speak to you that I would be more proud to be able to speak to you than Dr. Stephen Manley. Um, uh, if you've never heard him, you're in for a treat, not only in the way he handles the word, but just in his presentation. And you will enjoy that. And if you don't know him, ask somebody because we uh, enjoy him very much here at this church. And so uh, two Sundays from today, we will start with our revival. We are, uh, and leading up to those, we are in the season of Lent. And there are six Sundays in Lent. And in five of those Sundays, taking off one for Dr. Manley, in five of those Sundays, we're going to be able to talk about the, the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to be able to dive into that just a little bit. And I talked to you last week about how the Lord's Prayer is a cultural thing. And believers and unbelievers as well probably have memorized the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of sports teams will say the Lord's Prayer before a game or, or something like that. So it's, it's the most important prayer last week that I said that you could be able to pray. And I think I stand on pretty solid ground to be able to say that because when Jesus was asked, would you teach us to pray? And let, let me say something here, that this is a pet peeve of mine. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump up on my hobby horse here just for a second. This is Mark. And, but people say, say sometimes, well, we need, we need to say a prayer. Um, let's say a prayer together. Uh, friends, you don't say a prayer, you pray. Okay? It's a big difference. It's a big, big difference. When you say a prayer, you just say some words, and you recite something um, that you've learned or memorized or something. And so we say a prayer. And somehow, if we say a prayer, maybe that'll make God do something. That's not what prayer is about. You pray. And there's a lot of difference between saying a prayer and pray. And so when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us, they didn't say, teach us how to say a prayer. They said, teach us to pray. Saying a prayer can be rote. Saying a prayer can be memory. Um, praying is something that comes from the inside. And that's really, really important distinction. Maybe it's just semantics. I don't know. But for me, it's kind of an important distinction. It always kind of rubs me the wrong way when somebody says, let's say a prayer. And it's almost trivialized it in some way because prayer is action. Prayer is hard. Prayer is not easy. And that's why we said that we need to talk about this because prayer is a problem for a lot of us. We have unanswered questions about prayer. Prayer is hard for us to be consistent in. Sometimes we feel like our prayers don't go above the roof of our family rooms. And it's hard for us. Many times we feel guilty that we don't pray enough. I don't know how much is enough, but we sometimes 
sometimes we say we don't pray enough. And, and so there's a lot of questions about prayer. So it's worthy to be able to look into the Lord's Prayer. And it's the most important prayer because when the disciple says, would you teach us to pray? This is what it, Jesus told them. It, the Lord's Prayer probably is not the best name for it. We'll never change that name because it's been around so long because this is not a prayer Jesus prayed because Jesus didn't have to pray forgive us our sins, okay? It, it, it could be better called the disciples' prayer. And I would hold it out to you today as the most important prayer that you can be able to pray simply because when Jesus was asked, this is the answer. This is the answer that he gave. And we talked last week about how well this prayer is is known but i i heard this week that it's not as maybe as well known as i thought two guys were walking down the street and one guy was telling the other guy how much he went to church and loved god and all that and the other guy goes get off of it man that's just a bunch of religious talk you, you don't you don't really you're not you're not really a religious guy he says i bet you ten dollars you can't even recite the lord's prayer the guy says i can too now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul to keep and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Another guy to challenge him gets out the ten dollars and says, "Man, I didn't think you could do it. Here you go." <laughs> Sometimes we say we take the Lord's prayer for granted, and and uh, those words just kind of come off of our lips, and we don't even know what those words mean. And we refer to God as Father, but what does that really? mean and so we try to talk through that and the whole prayer is addressed to a father and that changes the way you look at every single thing that's in that prayer and we talked through that last week and if you didn't if you didn't get that if you didn't hear that message i would suggest that you get on the podcast and listen to that message because understanding god as father is critical not only to the lord's prayer it's critical to to christianity uh there there cannot be any us Nazarenes, we're called a holiness church, and we're one of uh, eight or nine denominations that we refer to ourselves as a holiness church. There is no holiness without understanding God as Father. There's no holiness. If God is a judge, there's no holiness. If, if God is a king, there's really no holiness. But since God is a Father, He looks on motive. He looks on intent. He looks upon your heart. A judge doesn't care about your heart. A judge just cares about the letter of the law. A father looks deeper than that, and a father looks into your heart, and we can live a holy life, not because he's a judge who, who just cares about letter of the law, but because he's a father. And we talked about that last week. We also said that scriptures say, hallowed be your name, and we talked about making God's name holy, and we talked about some ways to be able to, to do that. A children's pastor told me a couple of years ago as children were we're learning the Lord's Prayer. It said, Our Father who art in heaven, herald be your name. And, and uh, names are, are, are important. And God's name is important. And if you take God's name in vain, he will not hold us guiltless. It's one of the top ten. And, and because names are reputation. Names are character. Um, you're an Atherton, son. And that means something. Now, our kids don't get that at this time, but we say, you're an Atherton. And that means something, because names carry reputation. 
And I can just say someone's name and you will think of reputation, whether that reputation would be good or whether that reputation would be bad. It just comes with that name. My dad, my dad gave me something a long time ago. And um, and this tells you how much a name means uh, or can mean to a um, humans. How much more would it mean when we're talking about God's name? The top of this little plaque that Dad gave me says, says Atherton, and it says, You got it from your father. It was all he had to give, so it's yours to use and cherish for as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced, but a black mark on your name, son, can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad the name is spotless when you, gave it to your son, when you give it to your son. Uh, this is how some people think about names from a human perspective and how much more God may think from, an earth, from a heavenly perspective. Ezekiel 36 says that he exiled the Israelites. He allowed his people to be taken captive and exiled to another country because they profaned his name among the Gentiles. And that doesn't mean cussing. It meant that they called themselves the people of God but did not live that way. They called themselves the people of Yahweh but built altars to other gods. And because they profaned the name of God, he allowed them to be punished and carried off into exile. God is very serious about the expression that we get in the first part of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed, hallowed be your name, hallowed be thy name. But then we transition. In Matthew 6, I think we have it up here, Karen, and we see the whole prayer again. This is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, we skipped over the verse we want. Okay, great, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or evil one. And we said last week either translation is good and acceptable. Today we say our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name name thy kingdom come thy will be done this is a, this is i think i think that we we skip through this pretty quick because we want to get to us give us lead us lead lead us not forgive us give us our daily bread we want to get to us and we want to get to our kingdoms but we cannot go to our kingdoms it seems like in the way that god jesus has orchestrated this prayer until we go through the filter of his kingdom. Until we go through the filter of his will. We all have our own kingdoms, and we all have our own wills, don't we? Let's just admit it. And I, my problem I have with you is that you don't know that I'm the king of my kingdom. That's the problem I have with you. Right? You can laugh. That's the joke. And the problem you have with me is I don't understand that you're the king of your kingdom. Because we all want to be kings of our kingdom. And we pray about those things. God wants us to pray, pray about the kingdom of my singleness and the kingdom of my bad marriage and the kingdom of my rotten job and the kingdom of my unemployment 
and, and the kingdom of, of my kids and, and the kingdom of my health. And we all have our kingdoms, and, and God knows that. He's, we're going to pray about our kingdoms, but he says all that stuff that's in your kingdom, all that stuff that's in your life, it needs to be put under the, under the umbrella of my kingdom. All that stuff that you're so concerned about, and there's nothing wrong that you're concerned about that, but we've got to first be able to get this straight. It's my kingdom that needs to come, and it's my will that needs to be done more so than the stuff that is your will. It's my kingship that is really important, not the kingship of the stuff in your life. And so we must, before we get to the petitions that we ask for ourselves, we come to, God, would your kingdom come? And would your will be done? Now, what does it mean that God's kingdom would come? We see all through the New Testament when we talk about kingdom. Even in the Old Testament, we hear about kingdom. And many times Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, interchangeable things. And we hear that a lot in Scripture. But what does it mean that God's kingdom? Well, we know what the kingdom is by the second part of that phrase. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The kingdom is where God's will is done. The kingdom is where God's will is done. It can be done in an individual life. It can be done in the life of a church. It can be done amongst amongst a people. God's kingdom, where is that? Where does God's kingdom happen? Anywhere God's will happens. Anywhere God's will is done. That's where God's kingdom is. And I have not done much preaching. I don't think I've ever done a series of messages on God's kingdom, and I probably that's probably not good on my part. But in some way, I preach the kingdom every single Sunday. Because we preach the Christian life every single Sunday, and as we preach God's word, and we talk about how to live as a Christian, we're talking about the kingdom. And it's that kingdom as, that we talk about. It's that kingdom that we want to come. That's his will as I preach his word. I'm preaching his will to you. That's the kingdom that we want to be able to come. Yes, in our own life. But in the world as we see it as well. But, but don't we spend so much time in prayer trying to get God somehow maybe to bend his will to ours? How small of a God he must be if I think that I can just get him to bend his will to my little finite will to my I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little I'm a, I'm a, you know we're God loves us and we're of importance to him but in the whole scheme of of things you know we're a blip on the radar screen and God is eternal and God is infinite and and in prayer it's I'm not trying to be able to get God to bend his will to mine I'm trying to bend my will to his How petty of me or how, how useless of me to, to be able to spend my life in prayer trying to get God to bend his will to my will. Or trying to impose somehow my will upon him instead of just surrendering my will to him. Now there's a lot of famous preachers that have made a lot of money and have a lot of big churches that somehow that we can impose our will on God. And if we just have enough faith, and if we just pray in faith, and if, 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 if we just say the right prayer and say it the right way, and that somehow I can impose my will on God, and that's God, the creator of the universe, the sovereign one, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 
And man, you can, grow, you can draw a big crowd and you can pack the house by telling people that you can, that you can just claim this. You know, by telling people that you can somehow impose your will upon God, by telling people that you can be able to have through faith whatever you, whatever you want if your faith is just strong enough. And you can pack the house out. But you give a conference on thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and you won't have ten people show up. Because we want to be kings of our own kingdom, and I stand at the front of that line. Maybe, maybe the purpose of prayer is not to impose my will upon him, but to surrender my will to him. Do you really? And I have to ask myself this. I had to ask myself this week several times. Do I really believe that God's will is better for me than, than my own will? Do I really believe that? Do I really, really believe that God knows what's better for my life than I know what's better? Do I really believe that? God says, before we get to give us, forgive us, lead us not, I've got to go through the filter of my will and his kingdom and stick in all of my requests, which are good, and he tells us to do that under the umbrella of his kingdom. I've had people pray, say to me, is it, is it a lack of faith to pray for God's will? God, forgive us for some type of teaching that would even make a person ask that question. There, there is nothing more blasphemous to be able to think that somehow with enough faith and the right type of prayer, I can impose my will upon God. So there's nothing, more, there's nothing more that irritates me in the Christian life than somehow thinking if, my, if your faith is just strong enough, you wouldn't have that. If your faith is just strong enough, you'd be well. If your faith is just strong enough, and I had to deal with it just two weeks ago. God tells us to ask. God tells us to ask, and he wants us to ask under the umbrella of his will, under the umbrella of his kingdom coming in our lives. This is a prayer that when you pray it about yourself, is answered 100% of the time. <laughs> when I say with sincerity of heart and genuineness and a spirit, God, I want your will to be done even even if it it's not what i'm asking for even if the answer is no even if it costs me something god i know that your will is better than mine even if i don't particularly like it right now even if i don't understand it even if there's no rational, logical reason for me that this prayer would not be answered right now, God, I trust myself 
to your will. That's what the Church of the Nazarene is all about and any of us that would call ourselves the Holiness Church. It's putting our will under the umbrella of God's will. It's saying one big, huge yes to God. And then all the other yeses are a little easier along the way. This my will, his will stuff is, determines the length of our prayers. I think it really does. Did I ask you to put John 11 up here? John 11 is where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so in, picking up in the middle of this story, look how short Jesus prays when he knows what he's praying is in the will of God. <laughs> they, they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And he's raising somebody from the dead, by the way, okay? That's kind of a hard thing to do, I would expect. I know that you always knew that you always hear me, but, I, but I'm only read this, but I'm only really praying this for the benefit of the people that are standing here. So they'll won't think that I did it, but they'll know that you've done it. That's really the only reason I'm spending time here in prayer doing this really pious thing, because I want these people to know I didn't do it for my own glory. I didn't do it with my own power. It's your power that's done that. So I, don't, I didn't count those words. He raised somebody from the dead with, with, with maybe 20 words, 15 words, because he was praying right in with the will of God. And I don't have to spend a whole lot of time praying because I'm praying your will. God, I know it's your will that this would happen, and I'm praying that will. But, 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 when he had to lay down his life, he prayed all night long. Did he not? And he had to say eventually, not my will. After he prayed that God would take this cup from him. You don't think Jesus understands what you're going through? This Jesus, this divine one, this holy one of God, said he did not want to go to the cross. So don't you feel bad when you know that something's going on that may God want you to do and say, God, I'm really struggling with this. And it's the same thing Jesus did albeit on a different level. He's talking about getting crucified. And he says, God, would you take this cup from me? And how, how many times in other ways we have much smaller cups, but we say the same thing, would you take this cup from me? I've said it in 18 years of, of pastoral ministry. There's been times I said, would you take this cup, this calling of the pastoral ministry, would you take it from me? And when he rose the dead, and he, was, he, know that he, he knows that he was praying in the middle of God, God's will, and his will and God's will, they were in sync, and they were together, and he prays 20 words, but he prays all night, and asks three guys to pray with him. He prays all night, till he finally gets to the point in saying, I don't want this cup. I am not looking forward to this cup. I like to avoid this cup if I can. But nevertheless, your kingdom come. Because I know, Father, that your will, even though it's going to mean something for me, that is not good. Your will is better than my will. 
we had a teenager in Xenia High School commit suicide this week, and some of you know about that. And she was has been in attendance here at this church. She was best friends with someone who attends this church, and so our youth pastor did as we've asked him to do, because we we our vision is to be a community church and a church for the community, and that works out in a lot of different ways. And he jumped right on that. And Friday night at the community center, he has a memorial service for her and for all for all and there was I was there and there was over 200 teens that were there and and uh, we were a community church that night where we were the uh, Nathan was a community youth pastor that night and that's really really good and and as I was praying for it and as Nathan got up to speak and they had some remembrances of her and a couple of songs and a slideshow and some notes that the kids wrote to her and then kind of released them through balloons and all that kind of stuff, posters that they were giving the family of remembrances that the kids wrote. It was a really good evening. But when Nathan got up to speak, and Nathan was kind of nervous about this. Nathan has never um, uh, spoke at an event like this, and he talked with me, you know, what do I say? And, you know, I'm, I'm, none of us have expertise in all this kind of stuff. But when he got up to speak, and I was just kind of leaning against the wall in the back, you know, I, I just... I, start, I, was, I, was, I started to pray for him. I started, oh, God, give him words and all those stuff we pray for preachers. Help him relax and help him really feel your spirit. And then God just stopped me. He said, it's my will that this evening would go well. It's my will that these kids would reap some benefit from this. And so my prayer was, God, it's your will that Nathan's word be impactful. I pray for that. And that's it. I didn't pray anymore. Because <laughs> I knew what I was praying was in sync with the will of God. Was in sync with the will of God. I, I knew that Nathan's only desire was not to stand up and be the big shot youth pastor of the whole community. I knew his only desire was to somehow to help these kids through this and, and answer some questions that you can't answer. And, and I just said, Lord, may your will be done through Nathan's words tonight. When you're praying within the will of God, it's a prayer that's answered 100% of the time. And it can only be answered 100% of the time when you're praying about yourself because you're the only one you have control over. So when you pray for your lost grandchild or you pray for your lost um, son or daughter, you, you don't have any control over that person's decisions. But see, I have control over mine. And so if I can say sincerity with sincerity of heart and purity of heart, I have control over that. And God, you know it is the desire of my heart to be able to do your will and have your will in my life, even if it means I have to change jobs, even if it means I, I, my, my kids have to go through wilderness wandering, even if it means that I have to go through this bad bout of health, even if I want your will. You can say that about yourself, but it's, there's another aspect of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's, that's not an individual thing. It's a big thing <laughs> it's about other people and other counties and other cities and other states and other nations it's a bigger part of this oh yeah yeah there's an individual part of this and we do, we preachers we do good about the individual part of this and we do good about the preaching on the individual part of this but the kingdom the kingdom 
And when God tells us to pray, thy kingdom come, that must mean that, that, and thy will be done, that must mean that his will is not being done because we wouldn't have to be praying for this if his will was going to be done everywhere. We wouldn't even included it as part of the prayer. And as we look at the world, we, we have to say, as we look at the city, as we look at the county, as we look at the state, and as we look at the world, we have to say his will is not being done. And this is a prayer that's against the status quo. This is a prayer that when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's a countercultural prayer. It's a prayer of rebellion against the world. It's a, it's a prayer, it's a prayer of participating in the divine conspiracy to bring the kingdom in and counteract what we see in the world. Because what we see out there in the world is not God's will. Unborn children being killed in the womb is not God's will. Divorce is not God's will. The homosexual agenda is not God's will. Even such something like single moms who are trying so hard. Single momness, if you let me use that. It's not God's will. It's not God's will. Racism is not God's will. Drugs is not God's will. Even the so-called illegal marijuana in Colorado is not God's will. Alcohol abuse is not God's will. Greed and corruption is not God's will. All that we see at their school shootings is not God's will. Countries invading other countries is not God's will. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're participating in a countercultural thing. We're participating in God's divine conspiracy when he says no to the status quo, no to the way the world is going, no to what it is, what it is. God has always said no to the status quo. God has always says no to the status quo. He sent prophets in the Old Testament that proclaimed his wor word and warn the nation Israel that they're getting off path and, and the status quo that was going as they were worshiping other gods and forgetting about God, that was the status quo. And God, God sent prophets to, to proclaim a countercultural message, to send prophets that were eventually stoned and killed to proclaim a message that was not received well. God is not for the status quo. God's finger wrote in stone Ten Commandments that were just totally countercultural, totally against the way of the world, totally against status quo. If God was for the status quo, the way it is, just the way the world's going, it is what it is, God would never send his son Jesus. God would never send his son Jesus to usher in the kingdom. That would go smack dab head on with the kingdom of this world. When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you are participating in a God-ordained rebellion against the way things are. Because the way things are ain't the way they're supposed to be.
And I know it is what it is. And I know people are having sex outside of marriage. And how can you be able to expect kids to be able to control themselves? And I know thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. But you can't expect, it's just the way it is. It's just, it, wasn't, it didn't used to be that way. It's just the way it is right now. I know it's the way it is, but thy kingdom come. Thy will be You want to be rebellious? <laughs> want to be rebellious? Want to be a rebel? Pray thy kingdom come. Because being a Christian in God's kingdom is the most radical thing that could ever happen. It's the most politically incorrect thing that could ever happen. You've got to be stupid in the eyes of the world to stand up here and say some of the things I say. We preached a message on how weird, we preached a series on how weird Christians are and how peculiar Christians are. And if you're a Christian, you're not going to be looked at as cool. Because cool is the status quo. Cool is the culture of the day. Cool is the wisdom of this world. And against the wisdom of this world, against the, the, the wisdom of this world, which, by the way, God calls foolishness, we're to pray, thy kingdom come. And whenever you're obedient to the will of God, whenever you're obedient to what you know to be obedient to, whenever you're walking in obedience to God, and whenever you're doing His will, whenever you're going countercultural to the world, a little bit of the kingdom is being seen. Whenever we bag 50,000 bags of rice over there and send them to Haiti, a little bit of the kingdom is being seen. Whenever injustice is, is, is defeated and justice happens, a little bit of the kingdom, a little bit of the kingdom comes through. There'll be a day when the kingdom comes in its entirety. There'll be a day when the kingdom comes in its entirety. But by His Holy Spirit and by the choice that we have as human beings, there a little bit of the kingdom can be seen. A little bit of the kingdom can be seen here on earth. And that hard truth, which is another message, God brings that kingdom, but He uses human beings too to bring it in. And in some sense, we're not only kingdom seekers, we're kingdom bringers. I've tried to tell you today individually that, that uh, before you get to the things of my kingdom in the Lord's Prayer, we have to pray through the filter of thy kingdom come. Before we get to the things of my will, and it's okay to get to the things of my will. He, he tells us to get to the things of my will. Before we get to the things of my will, they have to go through the filter of his will. And, and my will is okay. We all have a will. We're, we're, we're being... We're, we're denying the obvious if we don't think we have a will. We all have a will, but it must be under the umbrella of God's will. We all have a kingdom. They all, we all want to be king of. It's got to be under the umbrella of His kingdom.
And there's an individual part of that, but there is a big kingdom, kingdom part of that. And you can participate in a God-ordained rebellion against the status quo, against the way of the world when you say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And if Jesus had to pray that, if Jesus battled with his own will, let's not be so pious to think that we don't battle with our own. If Jesus battled with his own will versus the will of the Father, let's don't be so pious that we don't think we battle with it as well. And why can we trust his will? Why can I say his will is better than my will? Why can I take no for an answer? Last week's message. He's my father. He's my father. And my father is not going to let anything happen in my life that doesn't pass through the filter of his will. And he either knows that it will be good for me or I can deal with it. Or it accomplishes a much bigger purpose than I can be able to see in my own blinders and my own life right here. Our pastors are coming to be able to prepare the elements of communion. And as they come, we are reminded of what happened the night before this. And when Jesus prayed all night, trying to get to the place where he could be able to say, thy will be done. So as we take this this morning, it's a, it's a reminder, is it my will or is it the Father's will? Is it my will or is it the Father's will that I really, really want? Even if the answer is no, even if it's a hardship for me, even if it means I'll never kick this whatever health problem. Well, why wouldn't God want? I don't know. I just know he's good, which means his will is good. Father, it's so pious of me to stand up here and tell everybody that we need to want God, your will more than our own because there are times I struggle with that as much as anyone in this room does. But I know in my, I know in my head that it's right. Your will is, you are a good God, and that makes your will good. And, and what you want for me is the best. Maybe not the best at that moment. Maybe not the, maybe not the, the best even for, for me, but the best as you try to orchestrate this world and bring your kingdom in. And so I pray for myself first that I can really understand that your will is better than mine. It's so easy for me to say amen and so easy for me to say yes, but in the midst of unanswered prayer, in the midst of prayer that's gone on for 20 years and still not answered, do I know that I know that I know that your no is better than my yes? And so, Father, we come to this table now and, and we remember something that 
you did for us and that was not an easy thing for you and you wanted you didn't want to do this and you had to battle in prayer with your father and so god help us as we come and remember this once again and may it be something of a relinquishing of our own wills in remembrance of the will that jesus relinquished for us